Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hi, everybody. And, you know, thank you for joining me each and every week. This is such an honor to be able to do this. And it can't be a podcast without a guest. And you're in for a treat today. My guest is Tracy Brown. She is a United States Coast Guard veteran, and she's truly an accomplished woman in so many ways. Welcome to the podcast, Tracy. Thank you, Marcia. I'm so excited to be here. I, it's really, I, you know, I, I, was, I, I just want to mention that I just got off of Facebook because you just did the most remarkable Facebook Live, and it just speaks to who you are. I'm going to just give a brief a list of what you've accomplished so that we can talk about these items. So number one, you're the facilitator for the Polk Institute on Mental Fitness for Entrepreneurs. You are an author of a best-selling book, and you've done more than one of those, Rescue to Recovery. You're a professional speaker with a signature presentation, The Disease of Playing Small, which is phenomenal. You're also a director of rehabilitation and scar tissue therapist. And not to underestimate this, you are a burn and PTSD survivor. That is quite a bit, and I hope we can cover all of this today. And I thought we could, we could start with the Polk Institute's Veterans Initiative because I know that that's very important to you. So could you just tell us about that? Yes. Uh, and thank you. I really appreciate being here and being able to speak about this. Uh, being a veteran is, is an honor, and, and sometimes it's real difficult. And so the uh, Polk Institute is an amazing institute, it's pretty much born in 2020. Um, but they, the Veterans Initiative is really their whole desire is to um, say thank you, first and foremost, to the veterans for all the things that they've done. And the Polk Institute is really what's, what, what is called a, a high level, like a mastery level uh, educational uh, course, if you will. Mm-hmm. They have different mm-hmm. cohorts throughout the year. It's a 40-week course. And they basically are teaching uh, those people that want to be entrepreneurs how to be self-reliant, how to be effective and successful business owners. And they do that through 10 different four-week courses on, you know, Mental fitness is what I teach, mental fitness for entrepreneurs. They teach um, financial um, uh, understanding, understanding how to run a business financially, uh, marketing, you name it. The things that you need in business to understand and to learn, they offer that. And the beautiful thing about it is it's, it's, it's tuition-free to yes. all students. And, and it's an amazing thing. You know, a lot of veterans coming out of, of you know, the military – they really don't know how to make that connection between military life and civilian life. And if you have this tension to be an entrepreneur, it's an amazing opportunity. And I'm just so, so thrilled and so honored to be able to present that. 
I know it's it's true. I um I have had them on my my show before and we've talked about this. I Gary is this right? Gary Polk, his first name is Gary? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Amazing yes. guy. Amazing. So yeah. you mentioned that it's tuition free, which is amazing. How do the veterans benefit from this? Well, they benefit from it because they actually, you know, the tools, they, they get the tools they need to actually learn how to be a successful entrepreneur, how to build a business. And one of the uh, prerequisites or one of the uh, asks that they have at the Institute is, is to have a desire to build a million-dollar business in three to five years. So mm-hmm. it's not just, oh, I'd like to have a little side gig. It's really somebody that's looking to build a, a sustainable business. You know, people, planet, you know, profit is what they're really looking at. And, right. you know, they can, anybody can apply. Any, any veterans can apply. Um, it's at Polk Institute, P-O-L-K Institute dot org. Apply by um, November 1st, so we've got a short window. Um, but it's tuition free. And, uh, and it's not just for veterans, but we're really looking, obviously, as Veterans uh, Day comes up, we're really pushing for the Veterans Initiative. But, you know, any women... Uh, uh, underserved communities. We're, we're really looking to to help people become their their own boss and really achieve their dreams, which is right line what I like to do. <laughs> you know, and there was a time when it was not virtual, right? I mean, it, I, I maybe you could tell me this: is this strictly an online platform, or do they go someplace physically to do these course do this coursework? Right now, it's online. It was it was literally born out of what was going on with, through the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. you know. So it's it's an online uh, through Zoom, and it's you know it's it's an amazing opportunity for anybody. So especially people that are looking to build a business. I mean, most people are running a business, or they're in the midst of their business, or they have another business, you know, or, or career or job that they go to. So it really gives them an easy way to access this, and that, that's what I love about it. You know, you're, right. just, you're in the comfort of your own home, taking notes and doing what you got to do. And you don't have to, you know, go across town because I don't know if you live in L.A., but, you know, I it's, do. it's <laughs> not a fun, it's not a, not a fun drive at five o'clock in the afternoon, right? So, no, it's or, not. Most places these days. So Absolutely. it really gives an, a great opportunity and, and an ease in which to uh, to attain it. Well, I love that. And and I think it's wonderful that you are actually speaking to your particular subject, which is mental fitness for mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. So how, when did you yeah. start doing this with them? Is this, is this a recent um, adventure with them? Yeah, I, I came on board. Uh, I had done a speech in Las Vegas uh, for a marketing uh, conference and educational conference, and the COO, Tim, who is also a veteran, uh, Tim Dura, he was right. there uh, and you know, there's, I, I'm, I'm one that I don't believe in coincidences. I think everything happens nope. for a reason. And yep. and he happened to be there, and he happened to catch my uh, speech on uh, three strategies. I, I call them strategies. I use that word somewhat loosely, but uh, <laughs> in in business, which is mindset, excellence, and fun. And uh, and he was just like, wow, I just think this would be perfect for our institute, and he, and he just asked me, he said, would you be interested? And, and, you know, once he told me about what this is all about, I'm like, I'm in. I'm all in. You're in, of course. So yeah, let me course. ask you, I I have um, watched you in videos. I, I watch you on Facebook Live. I get such a strong feeling just 
listening to you speak and i and i'm very um, i'm observant i notice your necklace i notice there's a bear i notice there's a bear in your house above a window or a wall or something like that which mm-hmm. i just i just notice things like that i don't know why but let me mm-hmm. ask you so how do you think entrepreneurs get men- mentally fit what's 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 the key to that well, I approach I approach almost everything, whether it be emotional or mental. I, I approach it the same way as the physical. I, I'm I'm a believer that we really can't separate our mind, body, and spirit. Uh, we we're it's all in the same package, right? And so yes, we can't separate them. We can perhaps study them separately, but we can't separate them in, in the healing process. And so the way I look at it, I look at our mental fitness the same way I would look at physical fitness. And I was actually talking about that on the Facebook Live today. You know, yes. if I want to get my body physically fit, if I'm trying to practice for a marathon or I am just want to get stronger, I have to do a few things. I've got to approach it with intention. I've got to, you know, be intent on doing it. I have to want to do it. And I have to do certain things consistently. Right, I, and I have to commit. And those are two words that I that I didn't like for a very long time, especially consistency. I was, you know, very oh, I'll do it when I feel like it. And it's like you, you don't get the results that you may otherwise get if you're consistent. And so, um, being consistent in what you're doing, and there's certain things that we can do on a daily basis to create a mental fitness. Um, and I, I'm I'm big on starting the morning right. I was taught a long time ago: if you master the morning, you master the day. And if I can set my, and that's physically emotionally and spiritually. So mm-hmm. if I start my day, I want to get physically fit, I'm going to start my day with a really good breakfast. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day, right? Well, it kind of is. It sets the tone for what the body is going to do as far as energy levels. If I start with sugar, I'm going to spike, and then I'm going to drop, and then I'm going to spike because I'm going to try and find something else that's going to spike it. Or I can start with a nice balanced breakfast and keep a nice strong you know, uh, energy level throughout the day. So it, it sets the tone. And the same thing with the morning. I have a morning routine that sets me up for joy, for happiness, for fun, because those are things that create sustainability. You know, fun is I sustainable. If I'm, if I'm having fun, you know, when you're having fun, time flies, right? Well, sure, because you're having a great time and you're not even thinking about it. You know, and, it's and so life interesting. in my world should be like that. Well, what's so interesting about what you just said because I've had this conversation with a lot of different people talking about the difference, what people think the difference is between routine and ritual. Um, hmm. I grew up in a family that my father was uh, in the National Guards, and then hmm. he re- maintained his, his position in the National Guards once he actually got a, a, a paying job. But he was an Army guy. So... We knew how you were supposed to fold your clothes, and we knew how the socks were supposed to go in the drawer, and we knew that we ate dinner every night at 5.30. And while that may sound, we used to also know how how high are we supposed to jump, Um, Mm -hmm. but but what it did is it set a pattern of Mm -hmm. how my brother and I were raised. Then I married an electrical engineer. Guess what? Same thing. (laughs) Same mm-hmm. thing. And so my comfort mm-hmm. in ritual, routine, call it what you'd like. Um, some would say, well, why are you so rigid? Why do you have to do the same thing? And it's like, you know what? You can do whatever you'd like. 
I'm not here. I'm not the boss of you. I'm only responsible right. for me. And I know that when I start my routine the same way, when I end my evening with the routine the same way, that brings me comfort. Is, would you say that that does the same for you? Well, I think what it does for for many people, it, it gives you safe boundaries. You know, mm-hmm. it gives you the safety zone. And and some people function really well in that. Um, I, I'm not quite as rigid, even though I was in the military. Um, I'm, I'm kind of more a stickler of, of if I set my morning, because my morning routine is really, and it's funny, I was just uh, watching uh, Tony Robbins, too. He does the same kind of a thing. But I start right. my day with, with three things that I'm grateful for. Yep. So that's the first thing that I do. It's like, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Yep. And, yep. you know, and, and then I do say a, a, a prayer for those that I love and those that I know and those that I know that are in need. And that sets me into a place of gratitude. And it starts the day in that space of gratitude. And gratitude to me, uh, through the years, and we'll get into some of the other things, but, I, you know, I, I suffered with depression for a long, long time. And I remember people telling me in business or different things, it's like, okay, you got to be strong and this and this and this. Well, I barely had enough strength to get out of bed some days. Right. And so, you know, strength was very elusive. But I realized that, that if, I were, if I was grateful, it, would, it was the gateway to joy. And joy mm-hmm. to me is the gateway to, to, to strength. Joy equals strength. Biblically speaking, you know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So joy equals strength. That's one of the highest vibrations we can have as a human being. And so if I can start, if I'm depressed or I'm down, I can, I can get into gratitude. I can make a choice to be grateful. And in that gratitude, I'm, I'm opening the door to joy, and that joy opens the door to strength. You know something? I do the exact same thing you do before I get out That's of amazing. bed in the morning. It, I, mean, yeah. I mean the exact same thing you do and you know it's so weird and i've mentioned this to other guests when when i when this topic comes up is i i'm an early riser i suspect that you are as well and i have a ceiling fan in my bedroom and sometimes Mm -hmm. just the way the maybe the morning light is coming in those fans look like open arms and I think that's, that's what awesome. that is. It's a metaphor. And so I open mm-hmm. my arms the same way and say awesome. out loud, I have to hear it. It's not good. to. It's not for me personally. I have to say it. I have to hear it because that's how I feel it. And I think that that's something that you and I both share. And I just... I think that's the beauty of why I get to podcast. It's the beauty of why you do what you do. And I just, yeah. I think it's just phenomenal. And you were a veteran and, and yeah. you served our country. And I, and I want to thank you. And when people say that, it's not like, oh, and have a nice day. I don't mean it to sound cavalier. I want to thank you because that was a sacrifice that you gave. And, and you need to be acknowledged for that. So thank you. When when did you serve? What what when were you in the military? As I, as I say, a long time ago in a galaxy far <laughs> away. Yes, I know that Star yeah. Trek. Yes, ma'am. Right. Oh yeah. God. Star Wars. And I was I was. Yes. Uh, uh, I went in in 1983, and in 1983 okay. there was about I think what what the number was I think there was about seven percent women at that point in time. Wow. Um, it was a very small amount of women. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, even though the Coast Guard is, has been, you know, allowing, as it were, or offering an opportunity for women uh, longer than any other organi- uh, military organization, women were in what mm. was called the Lighthouse. Um, I forgot the, what the, the, the Lighthouse Reserve or something like that, but they were lighthouse keepers. And they and their husbands, and when their husbands were away, the women did that. And actually, one of the one of the most prolific life uh, rescuers was a woman in the Coast Guard, way back in a long, long time ago. Yeah. So, um, so I went in in 1983, and uh, it was a very different world than it is now. We were under the Department yes. of Transportation, and oh uh, wow, you know, we we huh. we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, they have a lot now. They're under Homeland now, and so there's a lot more money in there because it's it's a huge op- it's a huge it's a small operation that does a big job. Let's just put it that way. It's an okay. amazing group of people. Did, so I went where were you living when you and en- when you enlisted? What part of the country? I was living in Long Beach, California. Oh, you were right. You're right here. Okay, by me. Yeah, right here. Interesting. When, when I when I yeah it, it came back home afterwards. <laughs> so what, what? I lived in L.A. for a while. Oh gosh. Well, so um, so you were accustomed to seeing water on a regular basis, anyway. Um, oh, so yeah. what what were your responsibilities um, in the Coast Guard? Uh, a lot. We wore a lot of hats. Um, <laughs> okay. Seriously, we, there were there were times that uh, uh, kind of the big thing, obviously, that I think most people think of is search and rescue. Um, right. I was in, on a, at a small boat station in San Francisco that I believe is no longer there anymore, which is just in the testament to how old I am. Um, hmm. But uh, we were um, stationed in San Francisco on small boats, which were 41-foot uh, utility boats, but that's what we did our rescues on and our law enforcement and whatnot. And um, so we did some drug interdiction. Uh, that was a big thing for us. Uh, search and rescue, safety of life at sea, uh, boarding different boats, you know, to make sure that they're doing safety. I mean, we were, we were busy. So we did a lot of firefighting. We did a few um, pier fires and, and uh, whatnot. So, yeah, we got a lot of training in a lot of different areas. It was pretty, pretty uh, diverse. But you were never deployed. You were always um, stateside. Uh, yes, I was. I was okay. uh, San okay. Francisco for um, 18 plus months. Uh, then I went to um, – these were the early days of the ETA, uh, a lot of people don't know, but the Coast Guard oh. was very, very involved in environmental protection. So I went from search and rescue to marine safety. I, they sent me to, to a school in uh, back east to learn about um, basically uh, federal, chemi- federal law and chemistry, you know, what, what are the laws that were changing around um, uh, environmental protections, uh, oil spills, those kind of things. And so well, that's very uh, we got to learn a lot. Yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff. So if somebody's out on a fishing boat, they're out whale watching, they're doing whatever they're doing, and something goes terribly wrong, they're on their way to Catalina, um, is mm. it the Coast Guard that comes to the rescue, so to speak? Well, on the water, it's an interesting thing. There's there's a, what's called the Corinthian spirit on the water. Um, I'm, a, I'm a sailor as well, and so... One of the things that if somebody's in, in, in peril or if somebody's having a problem, whatever they call out on the radio, um, it's really whoever can get there first. But, yes, you're going to call on the emergency channels, and you're probably going to get a hold of the Coast Guard, and they're going to do whatever they possibly can to get there as fast as they possibly can. Um, but when you, put, when you put a broadcast out on your radio on the emergency channel, uh, you know, Mayday, 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 or something like that, um, 
whoever's in the area is going to do what they possibly can to help, and the Coast Guard's going to be is monitoring that. So they're going to be there as soon as they possibly can. Got it. Well, that's yeah. very interesting. I, I appreciate um, hearing that. And I just I do want to mention um, while we're speaking that um, I'm personally looking right now at your website, which is called RescueToRecovery.com. And Mm -hmm. um, it's a perfect name because Rescue to Recovery is your latest book, and uh, it chronicles your journey of navigating over 30 years of undiagnosed PTSD, and we are going to be talking about that. And so... Mm -hmm. Um, why don't you tell us about your book? What what was your reason for writing it, and what could people? I, I know it's your it is your veteran story, and I like what it says underneath this, in that it says a veteran story of hidden scars and personal discovery, and there's a picture of a helicopter and and a boat, and um, I would just really like to hear hear about why you wrote the book, and what your book is all about, because I think it's very significant. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's it's actually my very first book, uh, self-published. And, you know, I wrote it, uh, I have a, a, a hired a, a writing coach, and she's actually, she was a friend before she became my coach. Uh, I had been wanting to write a book pretty much for the, for the major part of my life, um, for reasons we don't write things, it's interesting, but it took me up until 2018, really. And uh, 2018, I, I contacted my friend, or she had put a thing out, you know, write a book in 30 days. And I'm like, 30 days, man, I've been trying for 40 years. And so I'm like, I'm in. Uh, you know, you got me on that one. Um, yeah. But we started to go through some of the coaching process and, and you know, how to organize and whatnot. And as I got ready to put pen to paper, as it were, I realized that I was completely blocked. I thought I was going to write a different book um, than this one that came out, and I was—I realized I couldn't even—I I couldn't even express a lot of the things that I was thinking that I'd like to express. I was completely blocked, and I told her at that point in time, I said, "You know, um, I think I need to talk to somebody. I need to go through a little bit of therapy for the for trauma before I before I do this." And she's like, "Great, go to it. Do what you got to do." And I ended up doing um, a very specific uh, therapy towards uh, trauma through the VA. They have an amazing facility in Long Beach here, and they've got an amazing program for people specifically with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And so I did that. And then after that, um, this was the book that came out. And it really was, uh, I'm kind of chronological in my thought. And I thought, you know, before I go anywhere, I'd like to just tell my story. And through that, I came to the belief that, and you'd mentioned this in your in your opening, that, you know, everybody, I truly believe everybody has a story. I think we mm-hmm. all have a story in us, and I believe that it's really important that our, we tell our stories. And this, this came about through writing this book. I realized that it's really important because um, my story might resonate with some people, but it's not going to resonate with everybody. Your story is going to resonate with people, but not with everybody. And if each one of us could really open up and be honest and tell our stories lovingly and kindness and in grace, I think we could all really enjoy some healing in our lives and enjoy some healing in this world. And so, you know, my story was really, you know, of the scars that I was hiding from people. I was hiding trauma for over 30 years. Uh, You know, I would only let people see the, the happy clappy kind of stuff. 
If they wanted mm-hmm. to hear a story about the Coast Guard, I'd tell them a funny story, but I would never allow them to see the pain. And, you know, it's, it's that's not a real – people were missing a very large part of me because I was not allowing them to see the pains that I had gone through and the pains that I was still in. And so in doing that, it was pretty amazing because uh, people that I would never have thought of came to me and they said, wow, I never knew that you were going through that. And let me tell you my story. And it just opened up a, a, yes. a, a, a highway for people to go, you know what? I have a story too. And it's so healing when you can just speak your truth and you don't have to hide. You know, one of the things I coach and I, that my message really is, you know, we don't need to hide those pains. In fact, as we, as we share them, every time we share them, there's more healing for, for those that share and healing for those who hear. And it's, you know, you know what, and I, I like to consider myself a healer. <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 I do consider you, and I think what you do is you provide a safety zone and that you, you help people recognize, okay, hmm, were, were you by nature a journal writer? Did you, did you ever write notes or hand, either handwritten oh. or on the computer or anything like that, or was oh, it yeah. just all stored? No, you you were. What, no, what did I've you been, do? I've been journaling. Yeah, I've been journaling since I was probably 11 years old. I was. Uh, I wrote poetry. I wrote lyrics uh, years and years ago. Um, Interesting. I, you know, always always writing down thoughts. And I mean, I've got notepad after notepad after <laughs> notepad of just writing things down. I do, uh, you know, recording voice recordings as I'm driving some, you know, ideas. One of the things that my writing coach said, you know. Ideas are like a mouse in the house. You got to catch them when they're out, and, and I like that because <laughs> oh, you know, great. you do because it's like, oh, what was that thing that I was thinking about? I just grab my phone and do the voice recording and, and or notes, and I just speak it, and I'll make sense of it later. But, but uh, you know, I've got uh, I can't even tell you how many of those I have. I love that, and you know that that is a technique, and we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about some of these things. But when you were actually writing, so Rescue to Recovery was your first book. Um, yeah. Did I've talked to so many authors. Thank you, Devin Blaine, for always sending mm-hmm. me the most amazing people. Um, did you find yourself finding it easier to write directly, like using a Word document, or did you find yourself physically taking pen to paper and starting that way? Um, I kind of did a little bit of both. Uh, I, I started pen to paper, and I found that um, I was throwing out a lot of paper, <laughs> you know, just revision, revision. And so, but what I, what my writing coach taught me, which is a great little trick if anybody's looking to write a book or think they might even do that somewhere down the line, is yes. on your phone even, there's, you can get Google Docs. And right. just you know Word doc, and and I would just hit that, and I would speak into it, and it puts it into a Word document, and then I just throw that on, you know, pull it up on my computer and clean it up. Um, another thing, um, I believe this was Hemingway. Uh, one of his things that he used to say is, uh, "Write drunk, edit sober," and, <laughs> which basically he's saying, just throw it out there, spit it just out, get do it, it. On, you know, get that mouse, catch that mouse. Put it out somewhere where you can clean it up later when you're when you're can look at it critically, because you know writing a book is not just a creative process. You you have to have some sort of um, logic and and put it together to where people can make a, um, 
can understand what you're saying. They can they can connect the dots, and you're not just all over the place. Because my thoughts can be all over the place. Oh sure. The organization was really big. Yeah, it was really important. I'm sure everyone that's listening to this, whether they ever intend to write a book or not, can relate to what you just said. Um, you get to a certain state, depending upon where you are in your life. Maybe you're um, a college student, maybe you're a young married couple, maybe whoever you are. And certainly the pandemic has thrown mm-hmm. a, a major wrench into how we think, forms of isolation, just different things that have absolutely affected the way we live our lifestyle because it changed it so dramatically. So yeah. um, it's just interesting how we adapt. And I, yeah, well, I, I it gave like... us a great opportunity. It did. You know, the pandemic gave, it, gave us a great opportunity to take some time to look in, and that's one of the things I really encourage people to do. You know, take a you look know, and see what, what do you want. You're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. And um, I, I loved what you said this morning on your Facebook uh, Live. What one thing can I do today? And what else is possible today? I, I, I know I might have mentioned that at the top, but it's worth repeating. Because yeah. it's for some people, they, they would like a sense of direction. I happen to be one of those people that I function better mm-hmm. with a sense of direction. I'm persistent. I'm not going to just give up. If, if I can do it, I'm going to make it happen. But sometimes, right. you know, I can be my own worst enemy. But, you know, <laughs> I, I, but I'm determined, you know, I... I'm persistent. Yep. Um, yep. I know that you and suffered that's my something. Friend Carol Boston. I want to give her some. I want to give her credit. That's yes. Carol Boston. Uh, Carol Boston Coaching. She is an amazing, amazing uh, business and life coach. She she has. She they call her the queen of reframe, reframe, and she really that's helps great. people reframe their thought process. She's brilliant, and so I want to give her and, credit for those two things. And let's get it spelled correctly. So is she Boston like the city? B-O-S-T-O-N or T-E-N? Okay, and Carol without an E, just C-A-R-O-L. Okay, I will definitely look her up. She is brilliant. She is brilliant. Terrific. Okay, so you had something very unfortunate happen to you, and I I know that you were prepared to talk about this, so I'm Mm -hmm. really interested in hearing about this. You You were badly burned in a fire when you were eight years old. What what happened? Yep. Uh, I was doing a play, and this was again back in the galaxy, far far away. Um, <laughs> I was we, my my family were doing. Uh, we were being babysat. My mom was out uh, Christmas shopping. It was around Christmas, and we decided to do a play for my mom. And I was Santa Claus, and my I had a costume that had uh, cotton balls because you know we didn't have you know pre-made co- costumes kind of had to make your own this is 1969 right. um no fire retardant no uh nobody taught stop drop and roll um and i reached over a candle and it melted the tape and it caught my wrist on fire and as i was shaking it to put it out it caught my beard on fire with <sighs> and it basically exploded in my face and um it was it was traumatic as as you might think um, and these were the days where there was no 911. You know, 911 didn't come around until the 80s. And so, you know, imagine being in a house, right, with five kids, and one of them is now on fire. Um, but I have to say that in the midst of that, little, literally while I was on fire, I, I heard a voice, and I true, I believe it was the voice of God. You can call it whatever you want. 
Uh, to me, it was the voice of God, and it said, jump on the ground and roll around, and you'll be fine. And it was one of those voices that you heard, and nobody in the house had said anything. I asked everybody later on. Um, but it was one of those voices that was so commanding and yet so loving. It was just like, well, of course I'm going to do that because you told me to do that. And I did jump on the ground and roll around, and I was, you know, fine considering. Uh, you know, I didn't die. And um, and so I was I was in the hospital for quite a long time for, for really? months. Um, not weeks, and they really didn't know what to do. They didn't have burn centers. They didn't have burn facilities. And uh, at first, <laughs> after I got out of the emergency room, um, it, you know, I wasn't in necessarily a coma, but I tell people I was, I was in a coma-like state. I think it was more shock than anything. But for the first two weeks, I could see everything going on around me, and I could hear what people were saying. And I truly believe that whether somebody's in a coma or whether somebody's, uh, you know, under anesthetic, I don't care what it is. I truly believe you still hear. You can still hear mm-hmm. and take in what's going on. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, I live that. And so um, I, I was in that state for a couple of weeks. And I, my mom would, you know, hold, because I was bandaged up, and my mom would hold the tip of my little finger and she would basically ask God why and, and and I just answered her. It's like, you know, I was just, I was moving a little too fast and God had to slow me down. And I didn't understand what that meant when I was younger, but I come, came to find out that I, would, I had really, by the time I was eight years old, I had pretty much decided that I didn't need anybody. And, uh, you know, there was some turmoil in the house. And, you know, at eight, you, you kind of need at least somebody to drive you to school, right? <laughs> so, right. So... Um, it, I think it was God's way of really uh, bonding my mom and I, and we still to this day have an amazing bond. And I tell people, you know, she's my very first mentor, and she still is my mentor. Mm. And, you know, she set in me in that time this mindset of understanding that, you know, I can put my mind to, I can do anything I put my mind to. And she has always instilled that in me. And even though trauma you know, whether it be at eight years old or, or through what I would kind of forget. It's like a, a physical injury. When you injure a, a, a joint or something, your wrist or your ankle, you have to do exercises to remind it, to teach it how to do what it was used to do. Well, same thing with emotional trauma. You know, a lot of us go through trauma and we kind of forget who we are. We forget the things that, you know, the joys or the, or the strategies or whatever it is that we have learned in our life. We kind of forget those things and we go into this dark place. And so, Coming out of it is another is a, is a process, and, right. and you know I I tell people it's like yeah you might have forgotten who you are but you can always remember, and there's great techniques and there's great people that help to do that and and I mm-hmm. I like to think that through teaching you know mental fitness and and helping people understand certain things that we can do with our mind that that I can help bring them uh, to another another level of of coming out of that. So how you're eight years old. You're in the hospital mm-hmm. for several months, a couple of months. Mm-hmm. How how does mm-hmm. this actually impact your life? Well, you know, it's very interesting because in the book I talk about how, um, you know, sometimes, I, and, and one of the reasons why I think I t- teach a lot about words being powerful, words are extremely powerful. Yes. And, and you know, especially especially as we present them. So when I was in that state of, you know, like I can hear you, I can see you, but I can't really acknowledge you or talk, um, in, even in the doctors and nurses, in their seemingly encouragement at an, as an adult, 
they were saying, wow, it's a miracle you're here. You shouldn't be here. You should have died. You know, they're <sighs> thinking, wow, this is a miracle. This is amazing. But as, as an eight-year-old, those words literally turned into, as I got older and older, you know, a teenager and whatnot, somehow they had morphed into I didn't matter. I shouldn't be here. Mm. So I did a lot of crazy things as a, as a teenager and young adult. And some of the things in the Coast Guard, because it, what's the worst that can happen? I can die. Well, I wasn't supposed to be here anyway, so what the heck? And so, you know, w- words are powerful, and how we say them um, are, can impact people in ways that we never even knew. And, you know, not to the, you know, I don't want to diss the doctors and the nurses. They were, they were truly amazed that I actually lived. They, they didn't think I was going to make it. And, uh, you know, God has other plans, right? And so, uh, so our words, I think that really impacted me on understanding how powerful words are. And so I, T. Harv Eker says he's a great uh, teacher and, and mentor yes. and, and philosopher. And one of the things that he says is, you know, what somebody says to me is important. It means one thing. What I say to me means everything. And so even those words that they, that they said, as I became an adult and started to understand certain things, I realized that my words to me are extremely powerful. And instead of mimicking maybe some of the words that I had heard and, and putting a negative spin on it, I can choose my words now as an adult and I can choose these things that I can speak into my life now. And it's hugely powerful, hugely powerful. What do I you say, say it out words. loud? Do you, do, you, yeah. do you find, uh, me too, I, yeah. I feel like, I mean, it is, I, I've got my kitty that I just love having in the home with me, <laughs> but, you know, my husband is deceased, so I live here alone. And mm-hmm. um, it's not good enough for me to just think it, to hear it. Well, no. that's, that's for me. Yeah, yeah. You, we need to hear it. And, and the interesting thing is I, I always put that to, it's like a dream. When you have a dream mm-hmm. and it's in your head, it makes perfect sense. You know, yes, I was flying around, and mm-hmm. then I landed, and then I knew I was on Mars. You know, I mean, it just makes perfect. When you speak it out loud, it's like, okay, that doesn't make any sense. But we can speak things out loud and make sense of them easier than keeping them in our head. And it's also a very powerful thing to hear it because yes. our, what happens in our sense and our hearing sense, it's not just, you know, because it can almost be make-believe when we just kind of say it in our head. It's like, oh, it's just right in there. But when we say it out loud, there's, we give this amazing, amazing power to it. And mm-hmm. then speaking it to somebody else, and that's one of the things that I encourage people to do is, you know, if you feel as though trauma or something is holding you back, and we'll probably get into that later, but, you know, tell someone. It is so right. amazingly powerful. And tell somebody that you trust and somebody that's not going to, you know, shoot you down, but somebody that's there to encourage and support you. But there is great power in telling your story and letting it out of this space where it can keep you a prisoner. I would agree. Did, did this ultimately lead you to becoming a scar tissue therapist and a rehabilitation person? Is that, is that sort of how your trajectory went? In- yeah, I kind of think so. In the, when I was in the Coast Guard, one of the things uh, when we were on small boats is we had to really learn uh, first aid, and, you know, especially during rescues. We had to kind of keep people alive if we got them when they're alive until we can get them to, a, to an ambulance or something. So we had learned yes. basic first aid. And when I was burned, you know, I was very, um, very interested in the whole medical process. I mean, I was there. Might as well learn something, right? <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and so I think that's always been a part of me. 
and um, I had actually injured my back in the early 90s, and I was honored to be a part of uh, this, this physiotherapist. He was a kinesiologist, and this guy, I mean, I was in, in excruciating pain, my low back, hmm. and yet he had me doing exercises, and I'm like, how is this possible? But he uh-huh. taught me how to kind of get my back out of the picture and strengthen the, the muscles that need to be strengthened. So that fascinated me and really shifted me into going into um, uh, physical rehab and I, subsequently getting um, certified as a uh, director of uh, physical rehabilitation through uh, Loma Linda and oh, well, most, mostly through American uh, College of Sports Medicine. And, um, but in doing that work, I really understood, I started to really understand scar tissue and that, you know, 90% of the reason why we have a lack of mobility, range of motion in our body is due to scar tissue. It's a soft tissue hmm. issue. And so, you know, I figured, wow, if I'm doing this, like if I start really working with scar tissue specifically, I could probably help 90% of the people in pain and 90% of the people that are having problems, you know, moving and doing some of the things that they love to do. And so in that process, working with scar tissue and understanding how it restricts us and keeps us from moving in the ways that we want, well, emotional scar tissue does the same thing. And so I learned that, you know, old scars, things that have, you know, hurt us a long time ago physically impact us now and actually even more because they're restricting us more and more and more. Well, emotional scars do the same thing. I used to tell myself years ago, you know, this stuff from when I got burned or the stuff when I went through in the Coast Guard, that couldn't be affecting me now. It was so long ago. You know, I called shooting on myself. This shouldn't bother me. This shouldn't be doing this. this should... Stop shooting on yourself, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that these scars that were, I call the insults to my soul, these scars were hindering me and restricting me and keeping from emotional, an emotional range of motion. And so the correlation between the two, that's when I really started putting the dots together as far as the connection between our, our emotions, our mental state, and our physical state. You know, the body holds on to, to emotional scars. Well, emotional I- scars shut us down. Right. I, there's, so there really is a parallel, would you say, between the physical and the emotional? Absolutely. I, I absolutely believe that with everything in me. Wow. That's very, you know, yeah. it's it's very thought-provoking on what you're talking about. And you just, you never know when somebody's listening how they may be relating to what you're saying mm. and what yeah. PTSD D means to one person might mean something different to another, you know. Yeah. And and, and the shooting, um, you know, when when mm-hmm. you when you said that, you know, I I often hear people say, well, I should have, and I and I mm-hmm. and I I say to them because I think I'm the boss of everybody, um, I say <laughs> to them, yeah, have you ever thought about taking the S off of that word and putting a C there? Instead of saying hmm. I I should have done this. What if you said, I could have done this? It doesn't sound as authoritarian, like, well, you should have cleaned your room, and that's why you've been grounded. I mean, do you know what right. I'm saying? There, there is a different sound to could, meaning there was a choice, and should, meaning there's like, I don't know, it just sounds authoritarian to me. And I, and I mean even yeah. to yourself. You know, you should have taken the trash cans out, and that was, that's the reason why they couldn't pick them up today. Well, yeah. I could have, but I forgot. Do you know, I, I guess yeah. I'm, it's, 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 you were saying of the power of words, and I, I so, 
so agree with you about that. And that that yeah. really leads well, it's that leads go ahead. Uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was just gonna say post traumatic stress one of the things that I learned because I know a lot of people do put different definitions on it. And I did too. When when you see say post traumatic stress versus post traumatic stress disorder, I thought there was something wrong with me. Oh. Because I had this and I thought there was something that I was that I was, you know, innately broken. But in in fact, post traumatic stress, every single human being that has gone through stress or some sort of stress or trauma, which after the pandemic, everybody on the planet has gone through a trauma. We've all experienced this this global trauma. Post traumatic stress is normal. And when I learned that, I'm like, what? That's wow. every single human being goes through a stress after trauma. Now, some people go into a trauma loop. What I, I attest to, you know, I say it's, it, that's where we get into this disorder because we just keep looping in this, this, this trauma. Well, with help and with people that understand how the brain works, we can get out of that loop. But post-traumatic stress is a normal process, just like when you hurt your ankle or your wrist, you have a, there's a stress or post-traumatic stress that happens through the trauma that happened to the body. It shuts down. It, it, it gets inflamed, you know, it swells up because it's trying to shut it down to see if it can heal it. There's this pause that happens in the body, and there's a pause that happens in the brain and in the, in the, in the psyche. So we have to allow ourselves to understand that this is just a natural process that, that we are going through. And if we can be gracious in that process, I think our healing process might be a little faster. Rather than would, shutting it down and saying, "Oh, you're terrible, you're 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 broken," and it's like I'm not broken. I just had something happen to me. Right, that's really really powerful what you just said because I wonder how many people think that PTSD is like, oh, you know, sort of sees it as the negative, like you had some control over this. And, well, yeah, um, and in law enforcement or first responders, um, the, the last thing that they want to do is tell somebody that they're having a problem with or an issue or a challenge with a, with a trauma that they encountered because nine times out of ten, they're going to be benched. They're going to put them and set them aside and say, oh, now you're broken. You can't help people. And it's like, but that's all they want to do is help people. Right. So help them to help people. Help them to walk through this trauma. And sometimes it's just a matter of talking about it. Yes. Sometimes that's all they have to do is talk about it. Get it out. You know, here's a couple tools. Here's some things that you can do that will help you through this process if for some reason it gets triggered again. I mean, you know, we make it this terrible thing because we put this shame on top of it. And it's like right. it's not shameful. It's it's normal. Yes. It, it's, that's a perfect segue to what I'd like to spend these remaining minutes with you about because I think this is so powerful. As I mentioned, Tracy has a wonderful website, which is Rescue to Recovery, and there are lots of different things on her website, including this remarkable link on Amazon Prime, which is called Underplaying Small. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. I I got ahead of myself. The Disease (laughs) of Playing Small. And Mm -hmm. I I watched it. It's a a 15-minute video. I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. And I thought we could really talk about this because you give some – I took notes. Tracy, I took notes yeah. while I was watching your video. Well, thank you. And I would think that most people that 
well, no, let me not even say that. That's a judgment. I took notes because it was, see how I corrected myself? I took <laughs> notes because, <laughs> well, it was. I, I heard it. I took notes because I felt like it really um, it was very powerful, and I'm looking at my notes. But what I'd like for you to do in, in, in telling us about this, the, the disease of playing small, talk, talk about this. Tell us about some of that video and your tips and what people can take away from listening to that. Well, I appreciate everything that you said about that. That, makes me, that was actually my very, um, pretty much my first uh, really timed and concise uh, speech. And to do it on Amazon was a little pressure cooker in and of itself. Sure. But, but I, actually, I actually say it uh, because disease, when you say disease, people think disease, terrible thing. But if you break the word down, it's, it's basically just a dis-ease. So the dis-ease right. of playing small, right? And, and a lot of us, I think there, there's been a lot of coaches out there and a lot of philosophers out there that say, uh, Bob Proctor is one of them. He's an amazing man. But he talks about most people are setting goals for things that they think they can reach, not fairly want. They're, they're shooting for something that they think they can achieve rather than shooting for the stars and maybe hitting the moon, right? Mm-hmm. And so the dis-ease of playing small for me was I was playing small almost all my life since, I've had, since my first trauma. Because for whatever reason, we just kind of, mm, I don't quite put myself out there. And I know part of it was because I felt that I had this trauma thing or whatever this thing that was building, you know, I had to hide it from people. And so I couldn't play full out because somebody might actually see me. And Brene right. Brown talks a lot about, um, you know, where connection is, where we connect as human beings is when we allow others to see us and when we see them, when we really see the people. You know, it's like you and I had a chat a couple of weeks ago before we did this because we got an opportunity to see each other, right? right? And so yes. when we see each other, we can connect. Well, the dis-ease of playing small is we don't want people to see us necessarily, and I'm not saying that's the, o- the only reason, but a lot of us have something in us that we really, really, really want to do, but we play a little bit smaller for X, Y, and Z reasons. Mm-hmm. And so I talk to people about, you know, my process through trauma, how trauma itself, and I think trauma is a big factor for a lot of people that we just don't realize because, oh, it happened so long ago, like we said. That can't mm-hmm. be bothering me now. It happened so long ago. Well, you know, I've had people with injuries that have come to me that it's a 30-year-old injury, and it's bug- bugging them and keeping them from doing the things that they love to do. They're restricted. Yes. Well, yes. trauma, emotional trauma does the same thing. It restricts us, and it keeps us playing smaller than we could. And so, really, I talk about things that we can do to help us play bigger, if we so choose. And I want to put the caveat in there that there are some people that have no desire to do anything other than where they are, and that's beautiful, and that's great, and bless you. Yes, no I, judgment. I, I want to bless those people in that place. Yes. No judgment. It's like, man, do what you do. But there are people out there. I was one of them that I was not doing the things that I knew that I wanted to do and knew that I could do. And I was just afraid or ashamed or I didn't want somebody to see all of me because when you put yourself out there, especially in speaking, it's like people are going to start looking at you and they're going to start seeing you. And it's like, ah, you know, before it's like, no, I don't want anybody to see me. So they can see this part, but they can't see this part. Well, going through therapy and the, all the things that I kind of went through, and I just kind of got to the point of, you know, look at it all and, and love it or don't, you know, but I'm good. I'm okay with where I am, and I like me. And so um, 
the dis-ease of playing small. It's just for those people that are, that are, you know, maybe not doing the thing that they, you know, it's like, God, I just wish I could, or I, I, I have this thing in me that, oh, I couldn't do that. Well, sure you can. If it's, mm-hmm. I, I truly believe if you've been given the vision, you've been given the provision. If you've been given a vision in your life to do something, the provision is there. Sometimes we have to build skills. Sometimes we might have to build discipline. Sometimes we might have to build X, Y, and Z. But if the vision is there, the provision is there. And so wow. my encouragement to people is find out, you know, and, and that's the great question that I ask everybody in every speech that I do is, First and foremost, as Bob Proctor says, a want is the only precursor to a decision. It's the only precursor, wanting, the want of it, the desire, the, the desire to do it. So I, I've turned that into, in uh, Simon Sinek, he talks a lot about, you know, what is the um, why, the why in life. You need to know why you're doing what you're doing in business, right? Mm-hmm. The why. That didn't make sense to me. So I basically came up with, what do you want? You know, it really comes down to want is the only precursor to a decision. So what do you want? What do you really, really want, whether it be in business, in life, in love, in fun, in, you know, health, whatever it is in your relationship, take the time to figure out what you want. And when you realize what you want, then you have to come to the decision of what am I willing to do to get it legally, ethically, and morally, right? So am I Correct. willing to, let's say I want to get, in, uh, let's say I want to get healthy. Well, am, am I willing to maybe change my diet? Am I willing to eat more cleanly? Am I willing to do some exercise? Because if you're not willing to do that, then that want is not as big as X, Y, and Z, right? True. So if I, and I really, really want something, I'm going to figure out what I need to do to get it. And so I, on the heels of that, then, then I talk to a lot of people about, you know, okay, that's great. Um, you know, there's five or seven things, but I talk about five things in the, in the display playing small. Yeah. Yes. If you'd like to go I thought maybe you could. <laughs> I, I, that's what I took the notes about. And if you wouldn't mm-hmm. mind, could you just share? I know we don't have a lot of time left, but could you just share mm-hmm. what those five choices are for those people that are, that are going to go back and listen to you say it? Because I know what they are. Yeah. I took my notes. <laughs> Well, um, I, I kind of, uh, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to nail them exactly on that one because I've really turned that into my, my what I really speak about is, is mindset, excellence, and fun. Those three things are hugely well, then why important. Then let's talk about that. Why don't we do that yeah. instead? Yeah. Go ahead. Those are hugely important because mindset to me, mindset creates direction. So understanding that as, as you think, so you are. Think they can and those who think they can't are both usually right. Those are great sayings and they've been around forever because they're true. So mindset is really everything. And, and that's the precursor, right, is want. What do you want? So if I want this, I'm going to make the decision to do these things, and that's going to set the direction. And then excellence, excellence creates empowerment. And when I talk about excellence, and this is in the speech as well, but when I talk about excellence, I'm talking about what are the words that you're using? Are you speaking in a positive way or are you speaking in a negative way? Mm-hmm. Are you choosing to, you know, move in the positive and say, you know, what am I going to, you know, what one thing can I do today to help create my goal, right? How, what else is possible? What are the possibilities, you know, how, what is your language? Are you saying, oh, I couldn't do that because, oh, you know, um, or you wake up in the morning, it's like, oh, thank God I'm not dead. Or, you know, how are you looking at things? Or are you sure. looking at things through the, through the lens of gratitude? And it's like, wow, thank you that I have this day. What can I, what's possible today? What do I get to do today? 
and changing little words, you know, what do I have to do versus what do I get to do? Right? Yeah. Just changing Doesn't little change words here and there. Changes everything. 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 Yes. I don't yes. have to do anything. You know, right. I've had people say, you know, I go to do something, they go, oh, you don't have to do it. And I'm like, I know, I don't have to do anything, but I like to do this and I get to do this. Right. And it changes your whole mentality on things. And then fun yeah. for me, fun is the sustainability. Napoleon Hill in his book, The Master Class, basically says if you're engaged in a labor of love, even if you're digging a ditch, if you love what you're doing, you'll never, it, the, the, the joy of it takes the labor out of it. You know, that's yeah. if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. That's true. Right. If you right. love it, you're not working. It's just an absolute joy to do. Yeah. And so I try to help people. My, my, my hope is to help people to understand that there has been a vision put in you. If, mm-hmm. if, and even if it is supporting somebody, you know, your, the data inputter, well, if your joy is helping people to input that data, that's beautiful. Go. If your joy is, like, my joy is to speak and to write, and, and it's taken me decades to get to that place, but I could do this all day long because it is my absolute joy to do it. Right. So find that thing that you want and that you love and that joy because that joy is sustainability. You could do that all day long, and it's also known as a motivational gift, the thing that you would do forever and ever and never even look at a clock. That's pretty much right. a good idea if that's something you're gifted to do. So I really encourage people to find that thing and and pursue it with everything in you because it's in you to do. Yes, I it's it's everything you say makes so much sense and that's why you get on the stage and that's why you speak these words because whoever is listening will take away for them what resonates for them. It's not going to resonate yep. for everybody the same way. We are not all walking in the same life. We're not all having the same life experiences. But if you're exactly. looking, if you're looking to um, to motivate yourself, if you want to find a way that gives life purpose, you know, people said mm-hmm. to me, you know, well, now that Butch is, you know, what are you going to do? It's like, well, I'm not going to stop living. I, <laughs> you know, I was I was a wife, but I was also mm-hmm. Marsha. And yeah. I I Next know who chapter. I am, but that yeah. doesn't mean I can't improve. That doesn't mean I can't learn new skills. And listen, I got to be honest with you. There there are some days when you would hear me say, "I'm just so sick of adulting. Can't you do it?" And I'm looking <laughs> and I'm going, "The cat's looking at me, going, it ain't me.'" So I thought, well, damn, there's <laughs> got to be somebody. So then call a professional if you don't know how to fix this computer issue. You know, I try right. to be kind to myself, and I think that that's very important. You know, if we it's don't huge. speak, you know, it's the one, it's one of the lessons that you know you you get lessons, and mm-hmm. um, treating others with kindness really should also apply to yourself. Would you say that to yourself? Oh, well, you know, yeah, you know, that comes down to, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, you know, but it's important that you love yourself first, because if you don't, you're, you're going to treat people as you think you should be treated. Right. And, you know, we don't know how many times we're going to go around this planet, but why not right. make it be the very best it can be for you while you're here? Because like today, I just I got a phone call out of the blue today from a woman that used to walk next to me on the treadmill when I worked at the YMCA in Westchester. 
Haven't talked hmm. to her probably in six or seven months. Ninety-three wow. years old, and her husband <laughs> just turned 100. She still wow. walks 20 minutes on the treadmill every day and rides a tricycle, a tri-bicycle thing outside two and a half miles three days a week. Do you suppose God that might her. have something to do with her longevity? You bet, God bless her. Yeah, but you absolutely. know what? I thought, I didn't expect to hear from her today. What a gift. What a yeah. gift and how timely. And I thought to myself, you know, something I'm going to do that I want to do, one thing that I can do, is I'm going mm-hmm. to call somebody that's not expecting to hear from me and say, hey, I've been thinking about you. How are you doing? And imagine that they're going to feel precisely the way I felt when I got that call today that I wasn't expecting. Yep. You know, and it's um, so simple to do. It's so and simple it's, and it's so easy. And it's fun. And that's what yeah. you talked about. There needs to be joy in life. And I got to yep. tell you, I was meant to do this. People say, gosh, you know, I said, yeah. I'm not going to lie. There's a, there is a lot of behind-the-scenes work that goes into this. But what would I be doing if I wasn't? Right. What kind exactly. of joy do I, feel I the get? the same way. Yes. It's the truth. Yeah. And I just I want to thank you, Tracy, for, for sharing your experiences with our listeners today because I think it's so valuable. And, and if everybody just takes one nugget away from this, then it's a win. And maybe you, maybe who's ever listening thinks, oh, my God, I need to share this with so-and-so. Yes, please do. Because please this do. is a book and this is the, and the Polk Institute is very fortunate to have you. And um, I, I've just thoroughly and, enjoyed and if I this. Could say, yeah, if I could throw something in there, if anybody, please. you know, is looking for because I, I love to speak to groups. It's one of my favorite things to do and encourage and motivate and give some tools. Uh, If anybody needs somebody, please reach out because I love, love, love doing that. Well, honey, you're talking to somebody that's responsible for the speakers and her regular Rotary Club. Guess what? So I'll be be reaching out to you to come speak to our Rotary Club because I think you're right. I think the more people that hear your message, the better it is regardless of of where that group is and I'm just I we talked about being grateful earlier today and um it is with gratitude that um I've I've shared this hour with you and you know I suspect that maybe six months whenever down the road you will rejoin me and you'll bring us up to date where where you've been since we spoke last but for now I'm going to allow you to get on with the rest of your day, get that exercise in and do all that fun stuff that you like to do because we know we want to get at least seven to eight hours of sleep and that's only going to happen by, by, by doing the choices that we make. So Amen. thank you, really. So thank you, thank you for joining me and I look forward to having one more guest the last Monday of October. There are five Mondays in this month, a busy, busy month, but isn't it the best? So no trick-or-treats for me next week, just another outstanding guest. So thank you once again. Have a lovely week, and I'm saying goodbye for now. Thank you. Thank you.